Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much once again for your word and pray that as we think about it together that you would be at work in our midst, that you would be making yourself known by your word and spirit, that we might have great clarity and confidence about who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I have this very unusual superpower, uh, and that is that I can frequently be called the wrong name or simply be known as a generic anonymous individual everywhere I go. Um, I've coined this superpower, the superpower of being the anonymous pastor. Um, and uh, people in this room can testify to episodes of The Anonymous Pastor. In a recent episode of The Anonymous Pastor, I was emphatically and confidently greeted by someone, uh, someone that I know, as completely the wrong person. Uh, And the thing is, my greeter's expectation was for something to follow his emphatic greeting. The way that he greeted me with such confidence, sort of emphatically calling me a completely different name. He was expecting something to follow. Uh, He thought he was expecting some memory, he was expecting some um, connection which he has with this other person uh, to kind of be the topic of conversation, the thing that really connected them together and instead what he got was this thick choking air of awkwardness as we both stood there and I just let the awkwardness sit for a little while as his emphatic confident expression went to mildly confident confusion to kind of timid confusion and then confident embarrassment (laughs) as he worked out, actually, no, I wasn't who he thought I was. And see, his expectation of what would follow uh, the memory or the shared connection was foundational to his relationship with this other person. And I couldn't provide that because I'm not that other person. And here's the thing, I reckon as we go through the book of Luke, Uh, You'll remember that we've been kind of taught by Luke about who Jesus is and he says at the very beginning, so that you can have utter confidence about who Jesus is and what he's done, in order to have confidence about who Jesus is and what he's done, you've got to get Jesus' identity right and based on who you think Jesus is will be your expectation of what you think Jesus has come to do. If Jesus is just a a good moral teacher, if you think that's who he is, then your expectation is that he will just teach us good morals and behaviour modification, right? If you think Jesus is just a good political example or a a revolutionary who's come to, to throw our political systems into upheaval and renewal, if that's who you think Jesus is, well, then your expectation is going to be that, that Jesus radically transforms our political systems in this world. But as we saw last week, uh, Luke shows us, and Jesus' self-identity, what Jesus 
saw himself to be comes very much from what God had promised in the Old Testament of who his one and only Saviour King would be. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, as the prophet Isaiah had, um, had foretold. The one who would come and lay down his life for God's people. The one who would bring in the forgiveness of sins. The one who would, would herald the kingdom of God and bring God's people back under God's loving rule and care. And it's our expectation of what Jesus will do as the Messiah, the Son of God, that brings us into Luke chapter 4. As Jesus begins his mission, and we have to ask the question, how do we expect the mission of Jesus to go forward in this world? And so I just want to ask two simple questions for you this morning. Do you expect Jesus to advance his mission by the preaching of the gospel? And do you expect Jesus to advance his mission by the preaching of the gospel to you? They're the two questions I want us to ask this morning. Do you expect Jesus to advance his mission by the preaching of the gospel? And do you expect Jesus to advance his mission by preaching the gospel to you. Uh, Pick it up with me as we see Jesus uh, return, we're told, to Galilee in the power of the Spirit in verse 14 and he goes to his hometown of Nazareth where he was brought up and he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath and he's handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. That's where we are once again. And we're in that same section of Isaiah that we, we looked at last week in thinking about who the servant of the Lord would be, the suffering servant, and what it is that he would bring about when he comes into the world, when he comes for the sake of God's people to bring rescue and redemption, what it is that this Messiah, this Saviour King would do. And so we get to Isaiah 61 is what Jesus is reading and we pick it up at verse 18 where he reads from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Do you see how Jesus' self-identity as the suffering servant means that our expectation should be that he is here to proclaim the good news. That is how his mission in this world will be advanced. The expectation of many people around Jesus is that he is just going to keep doing good things. Jesus is obviously powerful, he's obviously important and he obviously brings good things to people. And those in Jesus' hearing are impressed by his words, but their expectation is that he will simply keep keep doing good things and bringing good things to people. And as they demand of Jesus that he keeps healing the sick, as they demand from Jesus that he keep driving out evil spirits, what is it that Jesus, at the end of our passage tonight, says that he needs to do? That he is comfortable leaving sick people in town 
that he is comfortable leaving people in need, in physical and material need. Why? Have a look at verse 43. Because he says, I must go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom to other towns also because that is why I was sent. Jesus' self-conscious identity and mission is to come as the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the Saviour King, who will proclaim God's kingdom and preach the gospel, calling everyone to repentance and faith. Now, the fact that Jesus needs to go and proclaim the good news to other towns as well highlights for us, I think, what the prophet Isaiah expected of the servant of the Lord in coming to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners to, 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 uh, and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. What is the oppression for God's people in the book of Isaiah? What is the blindness that they suffer from? What is their poverty wrapped up in? In Isaiah 61, the thing that God's people need to be set free from is God's judgment at their rebellion. God's people have experienced his wrath and his judgment. They have been kicked out of their land. They're under the the oppressive hand of their enemies because of their sin. That is their poverty. They are living in the poverty of a broken relationship with God. They are living in the spiritual blindness of not seeing who God is in himself, of rejecting his glory and his splendour. They are oppressed by their enemies as um, in the, the direct judgment of God at their rebellion and their sin. And so what it is that they need from the servant of the Lord, what it is that we need from the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant, the saviour king, is that we need to be released from our oppression, the oppression of sin and death and God's judgement. We need our spiritual eyes opened to see the glory of the Lord And we need to be set free from the poverty of a broken relationship with our Creator God. It's very easy to read these words of Jesus and to think that Jesus comes into the world to meet physical needs in the here and now. That he comes to provide material relief for people that it comes to provide social improvement in our society, which would be a consequence of people turning to Jesus, no doubt. But the poverty that Jesus comes to deal with is the poverty of a broken relationship with God. The oppression that Jesus comes to set people free from is the oppression of sin and death. The blindness that Jesus comes to heal is the blindness of not seeing God as he truly is. So as you read the book of Mark, what is it that Jesus does every time he heals a blind person? 
It's all wrapped up with them seeing Jesus properly, seeing Jesus as he truly is, as the Saviour King who brings the forgiveness of sins, who deals with God's wrath and brings people back into a right relationship with their Heavenly Father. That is the sight. That is the freedom that Jesus comes to give. And he does that by announcing God's favour. Do you see that? He has come in verse 8, verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, the Jubilee year. The Jubilee year for God's people would be the year where where debts are cancelled, where prisoners are set free, where God hits the reset button for his people, where they're supposed to hit the reset button for their crops, they hit the reset button for their slaves, they hit the reset button for their debts. If you go back to Leviticus 25 and think about how the, the year of Jubilee, of the release of those debts, the release of those slaves, the freedom that God pronounces to his people, what is it inextricably linked to? the Day of Atonement. It follows the Day of Atonement because it's being having atoned for their sins and dealt with God's judgment at their sin that God says as a, as a picture of that freedom, as a picture of forgiveness and the freedom that God brings to his people. Cancel debts. Release slaves. Hit the reset button and refresh in your relationship with God. And Jesus is announcing to the world that in his arrival as the Saviour King of God's kingdom, coming to set us free from the poverty of a broken relationship with God, come to set us free from the oppression of sin and death and God's judgment, announcing the year, the time, the the opening of God's grace for people to come back and to know forgiveness and to know their Heavenly Father. And so when Jesus is presented with more and more people with physical ailments and no doubt his heart went out to them, no doubt his compassion was aroused for them, he announces to the town, but I'm going to keep moving because it's too important for me to stop. It's too important for me not to announce to more and more people that the time of God's grace, that the time of God's opening that is saying to people, come back to me, no forgiveness, no reconciliation, no the redemption that Jesus brings. The time to announce the good news is now. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to other towns also, Jesus says, because that is why I was sent. And Jesus' good news of release from the captive power of sin and death and the blindness to God and his kingdom That is still how Jesus' good news and his mission is advanced today. 
Jesus' example here is a good measure for us to think about our church and to think, is the preaching of the gospel central to what we think the mission of our church is? The hearing and the responding to God's word, is that what our church is all about? Because that's what Jesus is all about. One of the great things that we do as a church is seek to feed the poor in our local area. And we do that through a number of different meals. But as we've said time and time again, we are failing to care for the poor if we feed them physically and not spiritually. And so in Jesus' kind of categories of thinking, I wonder if you've ever thought of the fact that when we gather together on a Sunday, it is a ministry of feeding the poor. where we seek to call people to come into this building and to sit in these seats as the poor and needy people who need the forgiveness of their sins and to be reconciled to their Heavenly Father. And as God's Word is is proclaimed and heard, the needs of those poor people is met. The preaching of the Gospel every Sunday is us feeding the poor, the spiritually poor, in Petersham, who need to be fed by God's word and respond with repentance and faith. Do you see yourself as one of the poor and needy people that Jesus came for? Do you see yourself as someone who's oppressed by sin and death? and needs to be set free by the good news of Jesus, the Saviour King? It's easy to have an attitude that Jesus is good for the poor, those people over there. And that Christians should be serving the poor, those people over there. And that I want to be one of the good people contributing to the needs of the poor, those people over there. But it's another thing to say, like King David does, with all the wealth of the treasury of the palace behind him, I am poor and needy. Impoverished by a broken relationship with my Heavenly Father and in desperate need of his grace and his kindness to deal with my sin and to hit the reset button on my relationship with him. It should change the way we think of ourselves as poor and needy, oppressed by sin and death, in need of a saviour king. It should also change the way we think about the people around us. As we think about who are the poor in Petersham that we should be ministering to. Some of that's obvious, but some of it's not so obvious, I think. Why don't you imagine for a second a scene that's repeated all throughout the inner west, where you can stand on a street and you can look at two properties connected by a common wall 
on one side, you have a multi-million dollar terrace home with maybe two executive salaries maintaining it, maybe two privately schooled children inside it. And on the other side, you have a boarding house with maybe a dozen largely single men living inside, maybe one or two part-time salaries between the 12 of them, a lot of addiction and mental illness. And it's easy to stand and to look at those two properties, hypothetically, but we could find real-world examples if we walked two seconds down the road. And to say it's obvious who the poor and needy are in this scenario. And in some ways that's perfectly true, isn't it? And we need to come to those people and and meet those physical needs and provide links to services for mental health issues and addiction. But for both sides of that property, there is spiritual poverty there is the oppression of sin and death and there is the great need for the good news of Jesus. And the challenge for us is to see our neighbours, not just the materially poor, but the spiritually poor, and to see that need and to be moved by the compassion of Jesus and to be motivated by the priority of Jesus and to meet that need with the proclamation of the gospel and the announcement of God's favour. In between those two key verses about Jesus proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, we see people responding to Jesus in really obscure ways. And Jesus meets them with the example from the Old Testament that the gospel often is received in unexpected places and that with an attitude of um, entitlement and with an attitude of demand and judgment, Jesus says to people, the gospel goes out in unexpected places, even to the Gentiles. And we don't have time to unpack all those details this morning, but I commend them to your thoughts and prayers during your growth groups this week. You'll see on the screen behind me that this series is called Peace on Earth. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's not the personal peace of comfort and satisfaction that Jesus comes to bring to entitled people. But it's a peace peace with God that Jesus comes to bring to those who know themselves to be poor and needy sinners in need of his rescue and his grace and who respond to him with those open hands and humble hearts that say, like King David, I am poor and needy and to give thanks that Jesus came for me. 
Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus came for poor and needy sinners like us. We thank you that he came to proclaim the year of your favour, that time of your grace that we still live in, that open window of opportunity for us to respond to what you have done for us in our Saviour Christ. I pray this morning that each of us would be leaving knowing who Jesus is and knowing that we are the poor, oppressed sinners that he came to set free. And so, Father, give us that peace, we pray, as we leave here this morning. Amen.